Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm just grossed out and disappointed. And I'm The Machine. Should I do the... I feel like we this do that every day anyways, <laughs> with the quality of our audio. <laughs> well, this is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. This year just happens to be 1982, this season. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Friday the 13th, Part 3. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue the show, since the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. This month, Dave, we're going to be watching The Bay of Blood. You love this shit. And something I discovered in the research uh-huh. this this month. And then did you read this? I don't know if we went on any of the of the sites. No. Apparently, this movie rips off a very famous scene from that movie. So it's I guess it's a good thing that we're going to be also watching this Bay of Blood movie. Oh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three has yes. taken a scene from Bay of Blood, the 1971 film Bay of Blood. Yes. So just so you just so you know, can't wait. <laughs> There, uh, uh, Dave, if you have not been able to tell by his voice, is very dismissive about the horror genre in general. So yes. send all of your angry letters to him. What's there to be angry about? They're fucking dumb. Well, we're going to get into that, Dave, because I <laughs> think that's a generalization that doesn't serve the purposes of criticism. But uh, <laughs> try to get all academic with it. To, there's a lot of stuff we have to get to. So first and foremost, because of some bonus episodes we did, this is officially outside of the trailers that are made for each season, our 150th episode. Uh, Isn't that crazy? That's a lot. What? That's a lot of them, huh? Well, yeah. of you getting angry. Put, putting into question, what do we do with our lives, Kyle? Well, <laughs> the machine shackles us to do this show each and every week, so, so blame it. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a good place to put the... <laughs> <laughs> This is, of course, a show that is also built on a deep and rich fiction Mm -hmm. that we adhere to each and every week. There's a story that goes through and is woven, is woven expertly each and every week Mm -hmm. through our deliberate and educated points of view on film. Our audience (laughs) is living it with us. Mm -hmm. It's so... So deep. For people that need to get caught up, this season started with us coming here to the year 1982, realizing that we were adrift in time. And we, of course, cobbled together some money to buy an arcade. Well, because of a uh, boxing match with our nemesis, DDS, DDS, who was also embezzling funds from us, by the way, we took off and are now here in this cabin in the woods. Mm, right. But I'm pretty sure, is that? Is that Didi Hess, like, really, really far away down the path? Do you see that figure yes. walking so 
slowly towards us? Yes. Well, it's hard to tell <laughs> because when you're at that distance, mm -hmm. it could be anyone. I don't know why it's wearing a sheet. I mean, it's not the yeah. 1950s, but apparently it makes it scarier. Well, we are in Alberta, so who knows? Uh, the <laughs> it is white. It is a it's, white it's, sheet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's walking so slowly towards us. It's probably walking about as slow as to the end of the, this episode, however long that is, that's how slow they are walking. Oh, so, how convenient. Yeah. yeah. How that, convenient it's great that you're that? able to measure its pace, right? <laughs> that's, from that's this right. distance. Yeah. So Excellent. I'm sure that's going to, to be a bad thing. <laughs> you now hey, we, we were at the Calgary Film Festival, the Calgary International Film Festival last week, Dave. If I had uh, been better at planning, we would have mentioned that last week. So if you have not listened to those bonus episodes, I'd recommend going back and listening to those. But we do have some feedback slash news items I just wanted to quickly go through before we get into the history we have with this film. I was called out a little bit in my personal DMs on Instagram, Ooh. where Ted says, listened to your King of Comedy episode. And I think it's weird that you didn't mention that you've never been to a late night TV show taping yourself. Huh. Which I have been. Oh, you have. <laughs> I was at I was a let, I, I was at a Letterman taping. Oh, way no, back well, yeah. in the day. Never. Well, I guess who my who the guests were that night, Dave. Um, how old were you? Twenty nine, thirty, somewhere around. I don't there. know who was important S seven years ago. Beck. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was it was nine years ago. Well, I was gonna say kind of right ballpark, but I don't know if that's true. No, the musical guest was Adam Levine. Oh God. no, that's wrong. I'm to I'm so sorry. Adam Levine was a guest, but he was talking about the voice probably okay, yeah, at that maybe. time. The musical guest was Carly Rae Jepsen. Wow. If I remember correctly. Boyfriend. And the main guest, do you want to take a stab in the dark with the main guest was nine years ago? Jason Voorhees. <laughs> That'd be great. No, it was future president Donald J. Trump. What? Yeah. For The yeah, Apprentice? For The Apprentice. Wait, wait, wait. You, you were at a taping. Why wouldn't mm -hmm. you bring that up in the King of Comedy episode? I know. Isn't it wild that I never... Also, does <laughs> Ted never know you? Why? Is, yeah. Oh, okay. that, that's why he says, like, this is weird that you never brought this yeah, up. Yeah, that would have been... In this episode. That would have been a talking point. You two didn't need to talk longer last week. Dave always likes to throw random bullshit at me and then I get taken off track and then I forget to say yeah. what I want to say. Sure. So It's only been 150 episodes for you to figure that out. That's right. <laughs> you can go watch clips of this appearance online. It, it's great because at the time Trump was also really like America, America, America. Like, And uh, Dave, I thought, did this beautiful little takedown because he was showing off these ties like Trump had brought these ties for people to show, like, this American quality, this great stuff, like, support me, support me, this. And he just kept going on and on and on about America, America, America. And Dave just turned it around and looked, he's like, oh, look, made in China. And then flipped him around and just kept on. <laughs> and that's what great late night TV show hosts can do, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, You're a relic. All people want to do is uh, sing now, Cal. We also got called out. Uh, I forgot to write the person's name down, so I apologize, person who wrote in. In one of the animated movies that we talked about, it was either Nim or The Last Unicorn, we were talking about uh, the D23 Expo, and you asked me, why do they call it D23? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Except it fucking does, because... Wow. wow. <laughs> because I actually kind of said it in the show without even knowing 
to put the two and two together. Because I was like, yeah, I don't know why they call it D23, although they are celebrating their 100th year next year. So it's Disney 1923. That's why they call it that. Disney started in 1923. Still, it's still D23. stupid. It's still stupid. It is still stupid. Yeah. But at least it's not like out of nowhere completely. Well, like, <laughs> okay. How long have they been calling it that? I don't know how long D23 has been going on, but at least at least 15 years, if not wow. longer than that. Can you imagine like a committee of people saying, you know what would be a great name for this convention? D23. D23. It sounds like a fucking, it's like WD-40. It's a lubricant, a lubricant of culture. Enough uh, futzing around here, Dave. Let's get into Futs. our past with the... Uh, <laughs> you, like, you don't like my words that were coined in the 1940s? Is that a real word? Futzing. or You didn't just yeah, make that futzing. up? All right. No, it's okay. futzing. Yeah. If anyone, anybody knew, it would be you. So I want to start in a very general sense, which is what is your history with slashers? So in... Which is a subgenre of the horror of a horror genre, which is usually person with knife chasing people to stab them. Oh, slashing people. Is that the yeah. ah, that's where that name comes that's the from? Slasher comes into play. I don't I don't know. I don't like horror movies. So what are can you, name me You can't you cannot say that as a general term. That's like me saying Why not? I don't like science fiction. Don't watch any yeah, science fiction. Yeah, but nobody can movies. say that. So what uh <laughs> give me give me your top five most famous slasher films. So this one, I've never watched any of these, but Nightmare on Elm Street, I've watched one of those. Okay, watched Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't remember which one. Halloween, have you watched any of the Halloween films? No, never watched any Halloween film. That's weird. Uh, Psycho. Psycho, yes. Is that considered okay. a slasher film? Yes. Okay. Because Hitchcock's so I'm going to get into okay. it in a second, but right. yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Scream is basically a send-up of the slasher. Yeah, I watched Scream. But uh, I know what you did last summer. I'm just going for the 90s now. Mm, uh, I might have watched uh, that. Jeepers Creepers. No. Like the, no. Uh, Texas Chainsaw think, Massacre. None of those. But, I didn't yeah, watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another one of those. No. So. so, I mean, I may have watched A Nightmare on Elm Street when I was a tween at a slumber party. Uh, mm -hmm. Pet Cemetery. That's not a slasher, but I've watched Pet Cemetery. Right. That same, it was a triple feature that night. And we watched... Uh, Serpent and the Rainbow, which fucked me wow, up too. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's a fucking mm -hmm. weird movie. And then you made me watch a bunch, which I resent you for, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we've Blair watched slashers yet though, oh, have we? Slashers, I don't know. I'm just saying horror movies. Okay. Uh, well, horror is such a, is a general term because like, I mean, Jaws is a horror film. That's one of the, it's one of my favorite movies of all so time. So Jaws is on Amazon Prime and it's rated seven. Why seven? So they, they have... said my son can watch it, and I'm like, we're not watching this because no, this is I, not I would for say kids. That's a little bit, no, it's but a little bit too young. Isn't that a weird young. rating? Seven. This is back. This if it doesn't get any new scenes added to it, then it has to go with like because it was probably rated uh, PG back back in the day. So it's pretty like well, I don't want gory, but it's violent. I mean, it is violent. It's a yeah, giant 100%. shark. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> eating a boat. I'm just saying. You have you have things like uh, like Psycho. Or a lot of the Alfred Hitchcock stuff. Okay. Uh, Jaws is one of those. Uh, I just don't like painting with this broad brush of like, oh, all horror movies are bad. I'm like, I just don't think that's true. Well, I don't know. You haven't given me a good, good horror movie yet. What? I mean, I wouldn't Some consider Some people say of the Lambs is considered Is that a, a considered horror a horror movie? Well, there's a debate and <laughs> there's a debate on okay. that. So I, okay. I shouldn't I mean, say it's that. It's a good movie. With, it's creepy as fuck. But is it a horror movie? I mean, yeah, I, I guess. Well, okay, then let's have this conversation here now. I was going to wait for this. So, what is your deal? What, <laughs> why, why do you have this uptoned, upturned nose against horror films? Oh, against horror. Didn't we talk about this last year? Um, Maybe. 
I just don't understand the point of them. Uh, I mean, when you bring in a wider gamut, you talk about Silence of the Lambs, for example, and there's sort of at least an intelligible discussion around it that will, you know, hold you to question, you know, like right and wrong, morality, all this kind of stuff. Uh, fine. If that's considered a horror movie, maybe it is, you know, that those are good movies. But I guess I don't like slasher films. I don't understand mm -hmm. the appeal of watching people murder each other, harm each other for what? Like, what do you get out of it, Kyle? You love this shit. What do you get out of it? No, see, you can you continually say this uh -huh. <laughs> because I think that there's a difference between horror films and the subgenre of slasher film. Okay, which is what I was trying to slowly build up to here, uh, but you weren't playing along. Um, so let's <laughs> like is Alien so, so, a horror film? Yes, uh, the first Alien definitely is, right. is a That's horror a good film. movie. Yeah, uh, but uh, if we look at newer, newer ones like The Babadook or The Witch or I, I haven't watched the A twenty four stuff. I read great reviews but I haven't watched any of them. It's hard. I'm a dad now. I can't go out at night. No, I get it. <laughs> I got inverse vampire. <laughs> <laughs> People that are much smarter than I and have done more deep dives on into this can, can get into it a lot more. I think the appeal of horror is to take something that is intangible or sometimes metaphorical. Let's just say depression, fear, sadness, loneliness, those sorts of things, which you can't say, uh, can't necessarily point to like, look at this fear or look at this loneliness that I'm experiencing and making it an actual thing that the character has to fight against. You think it's that um, high-minded? Okay. Yeah. So you're using basically metaphor, but real, like in a real world setting. So if you're someone who suffers anxiety specifically, when you have like an anxiety attack, like what are you fighting against it's something like inside of you that you can't really do but if it's someone literally with a knife chasing you you're in this simulated no, version of that feeling <laughs> that becomes real and you can fight back and conquer here's why that doesn't make sense talking about sif we watched two films that tackle these exact issues right and yeah. none of them have a fucking idiot with a knife in them yeah, but they're, they're different genres, Dave. We're, that's comparing apples and oranges. No, this is my point. We don't need it. We don't need oh to God. formalize fear in the, in the shape of a disfigured, usually man, with a giant knife who's chasing, you know, teenagers, right? right? At least in you're, slasher you're, you're, films. Yes, you're jumping ahead way too much here. I'm just sitting in the horror element. I mean, mm -hmm. if we go way back to something like Dracula, Frankenstein, mm -hmm. in their novel forms. Yes. What is Frankenstein dealing with? man trying to control nature that is that it's taking that concept and making a, a that metaphor realistic of him actually creating it from body parts a man who then he has to <laughs> overcome him becoming alive mm -hmm. but also from bram stoker earlier than that and onwards there is this queer element within the horror genre that could be explored much more easily than it being just a straight fiction or like a just a drama that we're doing and they could only find outlets to do that within a horror genre right. that's the only place that they could put them in there so if you wanted to write about yourself well i had to put it into inside of this encapsulation because i couldn't do it in anywhere else i'm listening i'm hearing you and mm -hmm. looking back even dracula or interview of the vampire silence of the mm -hmm. lambs i don't know in my mind they're not horror films so this is an interesting point you're bringing up which is that my use of the word horror is too wide because I only mean slasher flicks. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and if you classify anything 
with something grotesque, a serial killer, or something as a potentially a horror film, then I suppose there are good films that do that, of course. But I yeah. guess in my mind, I associate, this is like a, now a therapist couch because of my trauma of the types of movies I would have watched as a tween were all slasher flicks, right? That's what was big in the late 80s and the early 90s. Yeah, because you and I both grew up in the 80s and 90s. That's basically what horror was for yeah. the 80s, for, yeah. for a large part of it. And I think it's oftentimes when people say they don't like horror films, they're our age. And it's like, yeah, because you were shown nothing but people being mutilated for that's like right. a decade and a half. That is what the horror genre basically was. Yeah, that's the space it occupies in my mind. Yeah. Right. And ironically and hypocritically, people getting disfigured in Alien doesn't qualify because I find that science fiction and mm. much more intelligible and interesting on your point, like yeah. metaphorical about the human condition. It's all that kind of shit. But yeah, I do not see Alien gross. any different than a normal slasher film, except the slasher this time is an alien. He's an alien. He's a wet, oozing alien. Who doesn't get horny for wet aliens? The, the point of this is that I kind of agree with you in a general sense that I also don't really enjoy slasher films. The tropes that they fall into are just not something that I enjoy watching in film form. There are exceptions to this rule because Halloween happens to be one of my favorite films of all time. But the difference there is that you have a, such a strong character of Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. And not one second in that film are you not being like, I want you to win. Mm. I want you to conquer this evil that is chasing you. It's terrifying that it's just slowly coming after you. The score is great. That's, that also adds to it. And there's this release when she finally overcomes it. What I find most slasher films do is like, here's a bunch of characters that we don't really care about. And you'll never remember their names by the end of this movie. And they're just offered up with fantastical kills. I will say that there's a large portion of horror fandom that that is literally what they enjoy. They like the idea of the special effects or like voyeurism. The, sure. the, yeah, the, well, maybe a bit of voyeurism, but I think it's really like, I want to see quote unquote interesting kills. What, what, yeah, how voyeurism. can you think of a, of a weird way for someone to be murdered in a safe space? It's like, it's not like they like watching real murders happen. They, they do. Like simulated murders. There's happen. a reason why snuff films exist. I, I think those are different though. This, but this is like the argument, like violent video games lead to people wanting to go and kill no, people. No, video games express an, uh, a latent issue which is that we believe people are good and don't want to do these things. But in fact, we're all capable of horrific grossness. And these things are outlets and people buy into that. And it frightens me <laughs> because I don't want to think that my neighbor could wake up one day in a psychotic break and stab me in mm -hmm. the face with a kitchen knife. I don't know. Why would I buy into that if I don't want anything to do with it? Why would I think that that would be fun to watch if I didn't have some part of me that wanted to do that to somebody? I don't know. I think that's making a, a mental leap that I I just don't see. I, I think that the video game example is, is true. Just because you enjoy playing shooters does not mean that you're going to go and shoot up a school. Like it no, just, that just, just doesn't correlate. But there's a reason why some people play shooters and other people don't. Correct. Yeah. That I will agree with. So there's yeah. like a, there's a wide gray area, but it is mm -hmm. pointing in the direction that there's this latent violence that we're trying to pretend doesn't exist. Otherwise, these games and these movies also wouldn't exist, but they do. And there are books. It's, it's not just electronic media. Like, there are books that are written for this and plays and all this stuff. It's not new. It's just something I don't want to be a part of. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> I, I think what we really need to be clear on here is that the, yeah, there are different subgenres within the wide umbrella of horror. Like right. Psychological horror, there's the slasher genre, there's a supernatural horror, etc., etc. And there's a bunch of ones I'm no, fine. not even thinking of. Yeah, but okay. Like, I agree with you. I think you're right. I'll concede that point that my problem is that I associate the word horror to one subgenre. I can't wait to stab you. This is again me compressing as much as I understand it, but again, write in if you have like a more detailed history of this. But from what I understand, there's a bunch of things that happen from the 60s to the late 70s that make the slasher genre like explode Popular. and be like the only thing that Hollywood produces. It's called lighted than, gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> it's lighted gasoline. But I mean, we should be saying people were buying tickets to go and see these movies. It's not like people were not watching these movies. Like they were making a lot of money. Trope was the date, right? And using yeah, fear as an aphrodisiac. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I can only, of course, speak for me. It just confuses me to get excited about watching people gruesomely destroyed for, for that purpose. I mean, there are films yeah. that use violence, of course. There, I hope that there's a broader message. And as we'll discover, uh, there isn't one. Well, again, that's, that's the hard part about the Friday the 13th franchise. Really, for me, the quote-unquote message or the reason for this movie to exist is to watch a lot of people, mostly women, be murdered in graphic and gruesome ways. But could there be and is there films that explore that topic much more, I was going to say appropriately, but that's the wrong word, but like more generously where it's like, let's really analyze this fear and nuanced way um, as this creeping evil kind of advances towards you. So this is what I know. In 1960, there's two films that are released that are kind of have this huge impact. First, Psycho. This is before the production code goes away. Hitchcock has to be pretty uh, specific and particular mm -hmm. in how he shows people being stabbed. I don't think it was the first movie of like stabbing being like whatever the method of being killed, but in such like a an intimate way had never really been shown on camera visceral. before. Visceral, uh, at least in Hollywood. The other one was Peeping Tom. Uh, I've not seen that one, but from what I understand, that shows like killer's point of view. Not the first one to do that either, but kind of the first one that really jumps into the public consciousness of like, oh, the camera is the killer's point of view. And so you are very much the voyeur into the killings that are happening inside of that movie. Those two movies in particular then influence a bunch, a bunch of Italian filmmakers, one of the biggest being Dario Argento. They start to make these films called Giallos, G-I-A-L-L-O, which are slasher films. Killer <laughs> with a knife going and stabbing a bunch of people, lots of blood. Like that is what those films are, which then in turn influences American filmmakers. There's always that give and take, right? We saw this when we talked about um, Japanese film, I think last year, where it's like Kurosawa does things as he's influenced by American filmmakers. American filmmakers are then influenced by Kurosawa. So it's like this big <laughs> give and take back and forth sort of thing. So those Jalo films are happening. And then the person who kind of synthesizes it all together is John Carpenter in Halloween in 1978. You see the killer's point of view, Sabbing is the method of, of killing people. The difference is, again, I always go back to it, and always what frustrates me when people say, like, oh, Cisco and Lieber hated all horror films, which is, I think, a reduction of their point because they loved Halloween and hated basically all the other 80s slasher films because it does do 
what this film, I'm just going to say it, doesn't do, which is makes me care about the main character. And is not just offering them up as being extra meat for the killer to kill. But because Halloween is such a huge hit, uh, and it's really the only hit John Carpenter ever has uh, in his first run, that offers a bunch of copycats. And in the 80s, we have the big three. So people take over the Halloween franchise, and there's a bunch of those sequels. Freddy Krueger uh, in the Nightmare on Elm Street, I think is 81. No, we just talked about this. I think it's 83 is the first one. And 1980 is when the first um, Friday the 13th movie comes out. In the 80s alone, there is eight Friday the 13th movies that come out. It only misses two of the years, which is wild to me to think about. They just pump them out that quickly. This brings me to this. Do you have any, any history with the Friday the 13th original film or the series in general? No. I mean, I just, all I know is... Uh... The character of Jason with the hockey mask, although we'll f I'll find out in mm -hmm. a minute that it's actually the third movie where this that starts. Yep. And that's about it. At the bare minimum, you will know the iconography of Friday the 13th, even if you've never watched a second of the Friday the 13th films. There's that hockey mask. There's the machete. You know the name of Jason, whether you know his last name is Voorhees or not is maybe a little bit extra, but you'll know Jason, that name. Uh, up until last year, I'd only seen the first one. Um, I'd seen the first one. In university during a halloween party i know for sure and then last year no sorry two years ago when COVID first started i made this wise decision to be like know what i want to do know what know what gaps i want to fill in oh my god not kurosawa not ingrid bergman not fellini no i'm gonna watch every single nightmare on elm street friday the 13th and halloween film. Say, there's something wrong with you <laughs> yeah like you, you should seek counsel all of these there's something wrong and i will go to bat for the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I think there's a couple of them that are really, really good. Halloween has a, has a great first one, a fine sequel, it's okay. We'll probably be talking about the third one here very, very soon, this bizarre movie, just a bizarre movie. And then after that falls off a cliff and has some of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. One of the few films I've given half a star to is one of the Halloween sequels. It is so bad. The Friday the 13th series, there is one of them that I like. <laughs> a single one that kind of goes against custom and the tropes that it had set. And it goes bonkers, crazy Looney Tunes town. Almost like a throwback to like a Frankenstein film. And I liked it on that level. Uh, I forget which one that is. I, I'll say it's six or seven. I don't remember. It's one of the later sequels. All the other ones, you could burn the negatives tomorrow and I really don't think you would lose much. <laughs> like, I really just don't like them very much. So I have to state my bias up here up front you're on a bit of a rant i think you're both trying to defend horror but also yes. give yourself an island to stand on because you hate this movie so yes i mean that's the hard <laughs> part about this i honestly that is exactly what this is dave i feel like i'm on a one one foot's on land and one's in a canoe or a boat of some kind which is and you and can't I feel do like the splits pulled apart. yeah this is going to come across i don't want this to come across like i also hate all horror movies no i hate this movie a lot <laughs> Can we just quickly go through what happened in part one and part two, just so I we mean, have a base understanding? Sure. I, I wikied it, so I am definitely not an authority on it. Yeah. Well, what happens in the first one, Dave? You wikied it. Uh, what is it? This camp, a boy disappears, presumably mm -hmm. drowned, and then, like, does it jump 10 or 15 years later, and this bunch of teenagers are there? I, something like that, and somebody starts killing them, and it turns out to be the mom, 
but the boy is still also alive. Yeah, so this is a very young Kevin Bacon, right. by the way, is in that movie. Mrs. Voorhees is in that movie, so Jason's mother. But he goes missing, presumably drowned. She goes crazy. It's revealed at the end. That's the big reveal, right? Because everyone thinks it's Jason, even in the first movie. That's what it's leading up to. It's Jason coming and killing everyone, except it's not. It's the mother the entire time. The final shot is her getting decapitated. So, like, one of the final girls takes the uh, machete and this chops her head off. And the, like, big what-the-fuck moment, which is, like, considered, like, one of the best moments in all of horror cinema, as at the very, very end where she's alone in a canoe in the middle of Crystal Lake, and Jason, as a little boy, jumps up out of the water, grabs her, and pulls her down, being like, oh, my God, Jason's actually alive. This is another thing to show off about how conservative 80s horror films were, because this is also mentioned in Scream. If you have sex, you're going to die, right? If you uh, curse or use drugs or do any of that oh, sort of drink, you're going to die. Okay. So it's setting up all those kind of tropes. The biggest thing is that you were having sex when my boy drowned. You deserve to die if you're having sex now. That's the huge like thing ah. that goes through this movie so and all the, the rest. people that survive are presumably virgins is that why correct ah. presumably yeah. interesting i just presume that all these teenagers are just knocking each other up so i didn't i didn't pick up on that when i watched this movie i will just say this <laughs> on the flip of that i just watched uh hocus pocus and its sequel here <laughs> the other day garbage <laughs> when was the last time you watched those movies dave uh well the second like, one just came out came so out. i'm not gonna watch it we watched the first hocus pocus last year okay yeah. do you think it's weird because i did not remember this i'd seen it once when it originally came out in a theater oh wow and have never watched it ever again until just this week do you find it weird how much of the plot hinges on you have to be a virgin, you have to be a virgin, you have to be a virgin to do this in a Disney film in 1993? It feels like the subtext is like, you know, this wouldn't have happened if you weren't a virgin. You know, like, I guess you should be having more sex, I guess, so that the witches don't come back. <laughs> don't, don't you feel like that's kind of the I subtext wasn't even that paying they're attention. saying? I was really unhappy just watching it. They mentioned it like six times throughout the, the fact that this is happening because he's a virgin and that's the only way that that candle gets lit in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I didn't care when I was watching it. I don't care that you don't care. Part two comes out the year after. Do you remember what happens in part two? Uh, shit. So, more campers. The mm -hmm. townspeople give warnings. There's something in the swamp. Jason's killing people. It's a swamp thing, actually, for the first bits of crossover. Yeah, it's he's got a burlap sack on his head. Fuck, I don't remember the rest of the plot. I don't think the plot matters that much. I do know this... Well, it's too bad, because they literally show you all of the end of the movie I was in gonna this say, movie again. Yeah, so. <laughs> so in the beginning of this film, we see the big climax of him yeah. chasing a woman whose boyfriend has to, presumably, has to save her, and her. she discovers that this guy, Jason's been uh, keeping the mom's shrunken head in a yeah. cabin. She puts on her mom's, the mom's sweater and then tricks him into thinking his yes. mom's talking to him. So, the, uh, yeah. There, there's a few things, too, that uh, go through, I think, the entire Friday the 13th films, which is number one, the timeline makes literally no sense if you really break it down. But two, like the actual character of Jason is both the smartest and the dumbest person. Anyways, it's, I don't know, it's, it's whatever the writers want him to be at that given moment he's either weak or like the strongest person you've ever seen in your time whatever life. they need to 
get out of these plot the holes. The sparse killer or yeah. like the dumbest thing you can like it's like wily e. coyote uh, all of a sudden and then it's like i don't what what is happening yeah you got it i mean the biggest thing is at the very beginning of the second film just to tie the bow the final girl of the first movie gets killed off in the first five minutes of the second movie okay ice pick to the head because she opens up her she hears things and then opens up her fridge and it's the head of the mother again <laughs> there in the fridge apparently he's carrying around his dead mother's head i guess oh, why not um anyways that is how that movie uh, goes i will say legitimately and you see that here even in this the opening of this movie i think it's legitimately creepy i think it's actually a, a really great shot of you see him running through the woods towards the cabin as she's walking into it but that is the History, I guess, so Friday the 13th. Uh, all of the horror fans have now tuned out, I'm sure. But it's been so, almost an hour. Stay. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, let's go have for a, lot a break. to do on this thing. Yeah. Probably, just to get it down. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I'm probably going to talk about this movie for 15 minutes. So <laughs> we'll see if I'm right. Let's do this. Let's go for a break. Let's we'll thank some sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit more about Friday the 13th, part three. Do you have a machete? No. No, I bought oh. a hatchet for camping. Mm -hmm. uh, I almost chopped my foot the first time I used it because uh, there wasn't a stump to lay the log on. And I did the the holding the wood oh. low and swinging into my... What a bad move. Yeah. And then as soon as... like, I think there was only one. I think I was using a rock and then it fell. And I thought, oh, I'll just give it a quick swing. And then it like came within a millimeter of like cutting into my shoe. I was like, oh, I'll never do that again because I yeah, almost lost my foot. <laughs> I think everyone's had that moment of, yeah, either accidentally chopping or very close to chopping their toes. I'm yeah. like, well, that's uh, not a great idea. Apparently, Let's stop doing that. Apparently, if I take a hatchet and put it near my foot, swinging at my foot, it's a bad thing. Who knew? Bad, bad idea. Humans are dumb. How have we survived? this long pal no one knows kyle nave versus the machine of course is a proud member of the alberta podcast network locally grown community supported the alberta podcast network promotes and supports alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with alberta based businesses and organizations you know this week i get to talk to you about taproot so that's a service that helps businesses and organizations pay attention to the people they serve Taproot tells you the news about the people and companies that are important to you. You can use that information internally to keep everyone on the same page or share it with the world in your newsletter on your website and on your social media channels. Paying attention pays dividends. We can find out more at taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. That's taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. Our second sponsor is Alberta Blue Cross. Kyle, life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Actually, you know this this week more than anybody. How hectic was yeah. your week this week, business Pretty owner? Pretty hectic, yeah. yeah. A few uh, 14, 13-hour days, yeah. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees, Kyle. I put air quotes because you, you don't have employee. any <laughs> Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. It's all caps. Should we yell that next time? <laughs> uh, when you say you've got this, it always sounds passive-aggressive. We can oh, read it for some sorry. reason, but... Uh, how would this. you read this? How would you read it? You've got this. Isn't that, 
Is that, <laughs> is that not, my, is my inflection on, you got this, I guess. No, it's all the same. It's like, you've got this. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. All maybe, right, all right. notes, notes. All right, Dave, we have now sat down and for me, rewatched this. Uh, you, this is your first time watching this film. I'm actually very curious to know what your thoughts would be because you've not seen any of the other ones, mm -hmm. which seems interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Let's let's create a scenario here. A scenario. Oh. Scenario. <laughs> it's a like I'm American the barrio yeah. for a scenario. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's say that for some reason we have become camp counselors, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've done police checks for coaching, so I'd get in. Yeah, but I don't know anything about to, your past, Cal. We got our tiny shorts on and. Uh, our hats and uh, my one was all white because of the sunscreen zinc right, that I put right. onto it. Yeah. Some young camper comes running up to you and before they go onto the tetherball course, wow. they're like, I've got this, a copy of Friday the 13th part three. What's it about? <laughs> before you instantly snatch it out of their hands, <laughs> what would you say the your, movie's your about? puberty voice? That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Um, uh, what is this movie about? A bunch of kids, I'm going to say kids, a bunch of teenagers, although two of them are probably in their like mid 40s, uh, decide to go to a cottage uh, mm -hmm. near Cursed Lake where they discover creepy dude is uh, going to murder them all. Correct. It's, it's a Friday the 13th movie right there <laughs> by Crystal Lake. Jason comes, starts killing a bunch of them. Like that's basically. Everybody's warned them that they shouldn't be there. And they're just like, you know what? We're just going to mm -hmm. fuck. It's going to be fine. That's my life motto. And. What were your thoughts on the movie? Yeah, the movie's terrible. It's it's fucking garbage. You know, I, so when it opens, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, at least it's creepy. And then for the next 45 minutes, I was falling asleep because it's so bad and so boring. It's amazing that a slasher film could be boring for that long. And then they try to, they try to catch up with some of the weirdest kills, just smushing things. You know, it's like watching mm -hmm. FX. Like everything's... It's all plastic and things exploding and eyeballs and I will say that by the end, I didn't give it zero stars on Letterboxd because at the end there are some jump scares and you know, you get some tension uh, by the end yeah. in the big climax, but I, I couldn't give a shit about any of the people in it. I thought it was very poorly acted. It's shot like on a Super 8 camera. I don't know what, it just looks like garbage and um, mm -hmm. no, I didn't enjoy any of it. There are individual moments that I think actually do work and are effective in this movie. Broadly speaking, I agree with you. I think this movie is bad and people should feel bad for making this movie. <laughs> I think, uh, I think it honestly all comes down to what do you want to call it? Pacing or plotting of how actually everything comes together. I will, I will forgive certain tropes of happening. Yes, of course there's going to be random kills that happen. I kind of know that going in. But I just want to say, so they rerun literally the last, I think, five or six minutes of the previous movie. Then the credits come on. Then they do another cold open of like those two people in the trailer park, hanging the laundry, Jason yeah. comes in. This is when you know that it's been shot in 3D because he's like, the oh, antenna yeah. is getting pushed in front yeah. of your face. They're shoving the, like there's scenes with yo-yos. Just so yeah. they can show you like off this new technology, except that technology has existed for like 50 years. This is the bonkers thing to me. 
So this movie essentially starts the craze for 3D to start happening again. Oh, that was the, okay. the thing. Because okay. there's a bunch of other 3D films. A couple in 1982, but more into the 80s. Because okay. there was Jaws 3D, Amityville 3D. It seems like it's on a 30-year cycle. Because Avatar. the 50s had yeah. the 50s had a run of yep. 3D films. And that's exactly what they did. Yo-yos, right to the front <laughs> of your face. Like, ooh, a sword pointing at you. And it's like, in 30 years, they couldn't have thought of something different to do. Like well, had to, James Cameron made know. Avatar and uh, yeah. Avengers. And you know what's funny is uh, those movies do not hold up for that very reason. Because even without shoving yo-yos in your face, you know, like the texture, like how you set up the planes for something to appear closer to you, they don't hold up. They don't hold up visually. I, I, will, rec- I will say that probably Avatar does not hold up if I watched it at, at, at home. I've never done that. I actually just rewatched it in theaters in 3D again. Ah. And I thought it looked great. Yeah, yeah. But, I watched but it, in I watched it in, in the presentation it's supposed to be seen in. So also, I don't know. Modern 3D actually gives you that depth of field. It's not red Correct. and blue yeah, glasses yeah. So, or plastic. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm, I'm running up to this point of like 16 minutes of movie have elapsed before the movie actually starts. <laughs> yes. So now we have the movie that actually starts and we have some of the most obnoxious, <laughs> annoying characters. Yep. That we have to like be saddled with. There's a guy who does handstands. Why? Why? I know. It's like I guess that's a affectation that we're supposed to find charming. Uh, it's only so they can be cut in half from the groin down. Like that's right. that's really the only point for that to be a thing. But I hate when they do this in movies, in in horror movies especially. It's like, oh, you're giving us annoying characters so that we're glad that they get killed off later on. And I find that cheap. And then we go forty five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> It's like before anything happens and it's, it's so long. This is also something that I found happened in like the B movies of the 1950s that I've been watching a lot of recently, which is quick thing that happens at the beginning to like, get your interest. Nothing happens for 45 minutes to 50 minutes and then everything happens all at once at the end to make it feel like well, something actually occurred. If they shot it as it could have been, it's a 30 minute movie. Right? Yeah. Maybe 45 minutes. So. so it just feels like it's dragging yeah. and dragging and dragging. Just make it 60 I minutes. I do think that final 20 minutes has some interesting stuff that happens into it. It <laughs> opens up and it's fine. It's like, okay, at least now it's kind of scary. It's moody. But it go- goes in that thing that we were, I, I was talking about before the break. Jason is, at, at every moment, either can be punched in the face by this girl and injured and falls down and, and can't get, get anywhere, or is like, Picking up full humans with one hand yeah. and like, what is well, disappearing? Like, like he's a ninja in one scene. He's like, you see a shadow, and all of a sudden he's like in a different room. Or right. when it's time for the virgin heroine, he's like a fucking idiot, and he's just mm-hmm. getting punched in the face and getting hung by a rope. And you're like, all right, I guess. The, the most egregious to me is like he's like you've shown him crush a man's head <laughs> to the point where it eyeballs pops the pop eyeballs out. out. Yep. The gas runs out as she's trying to escape in the van, which I actually thought was a good setup payoff, but whatever. So she runs out of gas. She rolls up the window and he cannot escape the window <laughs> with his hands because I guess he's now too weak to break glass. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's that type of stuff that just annoys me so much. You can't show me him being this huge supernatural being full of strength and like, well, this rolled up window has now completely <laughs> buffaloed me. I can't possibly get past this. Buffaloed. Amazing. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> you, you're just born in the wrong generation. It's amazing. Maybe. Yeah. I know. Am I being too harsh? Do you think, No, Dave? no. It's, it's stupid. And that's, that's the problem with this movie. I mean, I obviously don't 
have a right to talk about slasher movies in general because I don't watch them and I think they're mm-hmm. all dumb in principle. But, you know, as this thing finally, finally builds up into a slasher flick and you get, you know, the jump scares and the, and the gore, you know, you're thinking kind of like you like, oh, well, how are you going to overcome this like god of death, right? right. And it turns out that you just like, yeah, roll up a window, punch him a couple times in the face. And then, like, he trips. I can't even remember what happens. Like, yeah, it's just, like, it's a fucking joke. So, you don't even get that catharsis of, like, oh, we've overcome evil. It's It just becomes a joke. I don't know. Would it have been better with better actors? I don't think so, because there's not a lot to act in. You know, there's no story. Yeah, no I mean, I dialogue think shit. that's why I was texting you. I was like, the unfortunate part about this is that, A, I don't think any of the actors are all that good terrible, in this. yeah. But even if you did get, like, a, an Adrian Barbeau or even bigger, like, a... Meryl Streep had somehow been cast like in this Jamie movie. Jamie Lee Curtis from yeah, Halloween. Yeah, it's still a bad script, man. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's going to be improved that much like they have by this better actors in it. Fucking B-movie cartoon biker gang. <laughs> why, yeah. why are they in it? I mean, except to do the gas, you know, the gas, set up mm. the running out of the gas bit. Maybe this is me being stupid. I've now seen this movie twice. What is their plan? They're going to burn down the barn? Is that what their thing is no, with the gas? No, I think they're just... They're just going to steal the gas almost like a prank so that it's funny. Like, I don't okay. think the plan is to murder them. I'm just trying to think of what their end goal is. Like, what the well, biker's end goal is. that's the thing. They're such stupid bikers, right? And mm-hmm. so poorly acted. And their costumes are a joke, right? It's like something out of the Warriors, except they're in this mm-hmm. tiny, small town in the middle of fucking nowhere, yeah. hanging out at a corner gas station. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, I got the feeling that that was the plan. That it was almost like a prank. He knocked down my motorcycle. Well, how are you going to get home when you have no gas in your truck? And that was it. Because like the woman kind of sneaks into the barn for no reason. Like just out of curiosity, which is, I mean, that's fine. The scene where she's like swinging like a girl and laughing on the... You're supposed to be in stealth mode. And you're like making this big raucous because you found a rope. To swing on again, mm-hmm. it's maybe to set up the fact they're going to hang Jason at some point. But uh, if you read up on the history of how this movie gets made, obviously it was rushed. Like this is coming out barely a year after the last one ended. You're trying to write the script, cast, shoot that, edit it, and get it out within a year's for time. no money. Yeah, the budget's tiny too. Yeah, so I get it in in the abstract, but it's like it feels like a rushed movie where it's like, well, maybe this idea and this idea would be interesting. One of the elements I actually enjoy that I wish they had played around with a little bit more, maybe even made it the main theme of the movie is like the crying wolf mm-hmm. thing. We have that guy who constantly has his like little squibs and yeah. other things that makes it look like he's been killed. His, but actually his hasn't practical been. jokes had better special effects than the actual kills. <laughs> well, that's true. But, <laughs> but still, so I like that idea of like, hey, it's this guy who is doing these practical jokes and trying to be liked by his peer group. And then a slasher appears Right, so it's like, okay, I think you could play around with that and yeah. have some interesting stuff. Could have had some herring moments, for sure. Yeah, could have. Yeah, in our rewrite class, if you make it seem the whole movie that he's actually the killer, that's, mm-hmm. there's like, uh, there's some kinetic energy there that you can play with in a plot. Instead, he's just a buffoon and he dies pretty you know, early, pretty but quickly, midway, yeah. yeah. And, uh, he doesn't get a lot to do because no. he's a sad virgin, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, there's another virgin who was, I guess because it's well, a ugly he's a male boy. though, Dave. Yeah, he's so. ugly and he's fat and he's a boy, mm-hmm. so he deserved to die. <laughs> I mean, I'm just talking about the rules that set out in horror films. That's basically true. Oh my God. The other thing that a lot of people will often talk about is how 
similar in structure horror films and comedy films are, which is like set up and pay off for jokes, but say a set up and pay off for kills, Murder. but also that there is supposed to be this release of tension. And I think that there is some quote unquote funny stuff that happens. I actually do think her yelling out her boyfriend's name, like Rick, Rick, Rick. And then him, his dead body being thrown through the glass is actually kind of a funny moment that happens uh, within this movie. Funny and in, in kind of quotes. But it's like one thing. It's one thing that happens. <laughs> it's not like it continually happens throughout the entire entire runtime. Oh yeah, we we also we met the other day and we started thinking maybe our listeners could answer this question. Can you actually have sex in a hammock? Is that possible? This is the most awkward thing. <laughs> and it's not to even like a a nice cloth one. It's like knotted rope or what do you, what mm. is that made out of? It's like a knit. I mean, it would be you could get things caught in it. Right? If you just <laughs> you turn the wrong way. Just, yeah, you hyperextend a finger by mistake. I mean, it's I'm all thinking over of the there. penis, but it would be awful. You'd get trapped in this. Well, thing. you're always thinking about the penis, Dave, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I wouldn't get enough. This is maybe me telling too much about myself. I don't think I'd get enough leverage. Like, I just wouldn't be able to <laughs> position myself. Right? I mean, you know, there's like sex swings and stuff, but this is like they showed these two kids. Like lying down. I mean, I don't even like hammocks in general, but so I have a bias. I have a hammock bias. Yeah, well, there's no back support. But so. uh, somehow they climb into this together. Can t- can two people even go into a hammock? Apparently they have sex. I mean, they're going to die, so it doesn't matter. Mm. But awkward. Like, why not just have a bed? I guess it didn't fit <laughs> in that room, like to shoot just with the camera. Just get a mattress. Like, just throw a mattress on the floor. Yeah, it had zero, yeah, it had zero purpose. Like, if they mm. were going to get strung up by it or it was going to factor into their murders at least there would have been something to put a hammock in right if right they're garroted by it but instead uh it's just there as a prop it's right there's some weird stuff going on in this thing man it's just a mess maybe they couldn't afford a bed yeah there was no other furniture <laughs> it's not in, in the budget anymore yeah, maybe apparently that is the scene that is stolen from bay of blood though is them as people being speared from below <laughs> two ah. people in a bed i don't know if it's a hammock in bay of blood but probably that's not. uh i can't wait to find out yeah i know it's gonna be great mm-hmm. dave's disdain is delicious there's a couple other things i just want to mention about this movie but before we do why do you think what is your theory then because again hollywood does not just keep making movies unless they're making money so why is this and other slasher movies so popular in the 80s to the point where um, I remember watching an old Siskel and Ebert clip. Like there's some, there's sometimes up to like 20 of these types of movies coming out per year in the 80s. So why? Why? I, I honestly don't. I mean, uh, this is the thing. Like when I'm a tween, this is what my peer group wants to watch. It's one of the reasons why I stopped going to sleepovers. That's all they want to do. I guess you can see boobs in most of them. Maybe it's yeah, that it's the reason. Yeah, it's a quick way to see boobs, but you could, I mean, I don't know. Like, I had a friend who had access to porn. I, I can't remember <laughs> if it was his dad's or his uncle's or something. So, right. uh, it's available. Actual porn is available. Watching people get murdered just to see two minutes of a young woman take off her shirt, that's a stretch. So, I, I don't honestly know. I think in hindsight, we had a much more toxic culture in the 80s, both sure. the masculine idea of what men and women are supposed to be like, but also a counter pressure from Reaganism where you, you, know, you bring up this idea that only the virgin survives, but we're also in this culture of like cocaine and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
general public violence. There's a lot of rioting and a lot of tension. So maybe that was a way to outlet that. I have absolutely no idea, Kyle, why anybody would pay a ticket price, sit in a theater and sweat something like this out and then walk well, home. I, I also like think I, it has to be stated like end of the 70s into the 80s is really the first time I'm trying to fact check myself. But yeah, it's really one of the first times that teenagers have disposable income in any type of way like the idea of like even teenagerhood was a fairly new mm. idea again having watched the listening to scream scene i keep plugging them but and then going through it like the first time like teenagers are even referenced is like 1956 or something mm. like that uh so it's still a relatively it new time too. you know right? and as maybe that's part of it too because teenagers are dumb you know, for example, learning that the male brain doesn't fully develop until your early 20s. Right. So, the kind of decisions you make on what is entertaining and what I need to feel either titillated or uh, amused becomes something of an extreme. I wonder if that's part of it too. They had access to disposable income, but also access to this extreme material instead of having to kind of sit through summer of 42. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, right. Now we can watch a bunch of kids uh, instead of walking around and playing banjos with their fucking teeth. We can watch them get murdered and still have sex and walk out of the movie in 90 minutes to go on a date or have a milkshake mm -hmm. at a fucking diet. I don't know whatever people are doing in 1982. Teenagers. Going to the malt shop, yeah. Snort a line of coke. Can I just say how much I love the fact that that mouth organ thing that they played has such stuck into your brain <laughs> from Summer 42. Mouth it's like not even anything I think about from that movie. And so you mentioned every single episode. It's just weird. I just think it's weird to just sit <laughs> on a lawn and flick a rubber band in your mouth. I'm sure maybe I should search for a video or something. I'm sure someone has made this idea of like why this perfect storm happened of like, because teenagers and young people are definitely driving the sales to this movie and these types of movies specifically and carries through the 80s. Well, it's not like, just horror. I mean, you brought up how you're so unhappy in some sense that this is the year we get into genre and super blockbuster filmmaking. But I think it's the same thing, isn't it? That the audience now wants bombastic extreme entertainment they don't want to sit right. with a film like we saw in 71 and be challenged and maybe this is because it's kids now and it's not 40 year old uh, failed philosophy students or whatever it is so they don't want to sit down and have to attack even something like shaft and understand that it's about civil rights and it's about mm -hmm. all of these bigger themes it's they just want to uh yeah feel something <laughs> they want to know they want to see serial killer rights that's what they they do they i want. look at uh, what's the most popular podcast now? Like they made a fucking Jeffrey Dahmer show yeah. on Netflix. Why? Why? He fucking froze people's body parts. We don't need to know about him. Don't know the full story yet, Dave. <laughs> we really need another miniseries to tell us about. So weird. I don't want to be too mean because I actually know one of the actors who are in that uh, show. I'm just, so. no, I'm just talking about conceptually that this is mm -hmm. what gets funded. We have a fascination with this. And, uh, you know, to my first point at the beginning of our long preamble of this, I think it just hints at a cultural sickness. Maybe it's a human condition thing. Deep down, it's not service level. It doesn't make us uh, criminals. We have that in us and allowing it to be on a screen instead of us having to live in our head about murdering people we know. There's something to that because uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. There's a, there's a voyeuristic tendency that we want to experience that without ever actually having to experience it. We want to do it life. without 
getting the responsibilities right. of uh, what comes back. You know, I'm at a stage in my life, you know, so for example, 15 years ago, I played Grand Theft Auto and I played mm -hmm. some of these more, yeah, like Resident Evil and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, which are inherently horror genre games and, and violent games, but I can't play games like that anymore. So maybe I'm just getting old. I mean, if we did this podcast or had conversations about it, there's no podcast 20 years ago, would I be more inclined to like this stuff? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. Well, let me tell you this, Dave. This movie opened on Friday, August the 13th huh. of 1982. <laughs> Why is it called Friday the 13th, by the way? Like, that's already... Uh... So, in the original film, the killings happen on a Friday the 13th. Oh, okay. All right. So, at least there's a tie-in. That wasn't in the Wikipedia, so there is but a on, tie, tie Yeah, but in future films, there's it no reason. It doesn't matter. It's just... Yeah. <laughs> there's no reason. Okay. It is rated at 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. has a 5.6 on IMDb, which is super low for IMDb. 30 on Metacritic and on Rotten Tomatoes... 7% Excellent. is what it has by critics from 29 critics and from 50,000 plus users, 42% is what it has. So it is a rotten film as far as that website goes. Available on DVD and Blu-ray, currently available to purchase or rent on iTunes or YouTube. The budget for this movie was $2.2 million. Seems a bit it's high. Box Yes, it, it jumped up a lot because the previous film was only like a million bucks, I think, for the second one. Anyways, this movie would go on to make $36.7 million, which would be $112 million today if adjusted for inflation, which is just a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money yeah. in 1982. Its plot description is Jason Voorhees stucks a group of friends who's just arrived to spend the weekend at a cabin near Crystal Lake. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess, Guess that, that, that tag. You know, Dave, when you walk into a movie theater, you often will see posters lining the walls. And they have a little phrase that is, is there to help you entice you to see the movie, to make you, what's a, what's a new movie that's just come out? Uh, God, I really need to watch this. Hocus Pocus 2. <laughs> it doesn't have a theater release, but for some reason they have a theater poster for it. Wow. So I'm donning my blazer, my long Bob Barker microphone, and you have to guess which one of these is the actual tagline that was on the poster for Friday the 13th Part 3. One of these is true, two of them are completely made up by me. So is the tagline a new dimension in terror? Is it nothing will save them? Or is it three, the body count continues? Uh, I'm gonna go with three. The body count continues? Yeah. Seems a little too forward. You are incorrect. Yeah, although I will say, I was a little bit mean this week because the real one is the first one, a new dimension in really? terror because of 3D, right? It's 3D. Oh, Dave. right. It was shot in 3D. A new dimension in terror. Yeah. But the body count continues was the tagline for two, and nothing will save them is the tagline for one. So, oh, so basically, kind of a cheat. you didn't have the creative juices flowing on I, this one. Yeah, I was like, whatever. <laughs> Machete, fuck, kill, whatever. I don't care, whatever. Throw this up there. It stars Dana Kimmel as Chris, Tracy Savage as Debbie, Paul names as, as Rick. Yeah. Well, you would know Rick because she yells his name 17,000 times in that one scene. <laughs> I don't remember. But Chris and Debbie, I would never have pulled that out of my brain to know that that's who those people are. And Richard Brooker as Jason Voorhees. Anything you want to say about these no. people? No, I didn't even... 
I didn't even look. They didn't have, let's, let's just say they did not have robust careers after this. I think I saw the main girl ended up on soap operas. Probably. I can see that. Yeah. She, if anybody, she's not good mm-hmm. in this, but if anybody had a shot at continuing to act, it was probably the, the main girl. She, she wasn't mm-hmm. that bad. Cinematography is by Gerald Feel or Fale, F-E-I-L, however you're going to pronounce that last name. Fail in German. <laughs> No. Uh, yeah, and he definitely failed this movie. This movie, the his top four on IMDb are this movie, The Empty Space from 1975, Savage Dawn from 1985, and he worked on in the camera and electrical department for Lord of the Flies in 1963. This is written by Martin Kitrosser and Carol Watson, based on characters created by Victor Mill and Ron Kurtz, directed by Steve Miner. So we've already talked about the plots of the first two movies. We see the Begin- at the beginning of this film, the ending of part two again. Now, the original plan, you might have read about this too. The original plan was this to be a direct continuation of the previous movie. And then there, the protagonist, Ginny, played by Amy Steele, would come back and have Jason stalk her once again. But uh, she says no. <laughs> she doesn't want to come back. Yeah. So they have to like cobble together this plot out of thin air. Uh, because producers are not going to leave this alone. The last film had only cost $1.2 million to make and had made $21 million. So it was a bit of a cash cow for them at the time. That initial idea, I will say, was for Jason to follow Ginny to the psych ward and pursue her there, killing staff and other inmates before getting to her. Because the, even at the time, producers were like, can we really go back to the camp a third time? This feels like it's getting a little bit stale at this point. I will point out, though, having watched all of the movies, that plot line does get used in a future sequel. <laughs> so I will say that that does come back. The one you liked? No. Right. It's basically used in this one where Jason actually is never in the movie. Okay. It's a really weird film. All right. It's, it's still part of the Friday the 13th, but Jason never appears. The He's universe. just a psychotic break that uh, someone has. So anyways, they write this original story. They hire Martin Kitrosser and Carol Watson. They'd been script supervisors for the previous two installments. This would be their first screenplay credit. And as a footnote, Martin would go on to write a handful of things, but mostly stayed as a script supervisor for his entire career. Most notably for nearly all of Tarantino's films, up to and including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm not that surprised, honestly. Yeah. yeah, so he's still a script supervisor, making sure that uh, continuity happens between scenes. Yeah. I have some thoughts on modern okay. Tarantino. <laughs> I okay. mean, Tarantino's a little bit better than what this filmmaking oh, is. Oh, like, yeah. If he's a script supervisor, because it's not mm-hmm. the same, but that he would involve someone who is in the slasher genre is not that sure. surprising. Yeah. Carol would only help to write, along with Martin again, Meatballs 2. Excellent. Excellent. Get Meteor. I don't know what the tagline is. <laughs> Probably, <for> actually. <laughs> Meatballs 2. Uh, and randomly... One episode of South Park. That's that's right. her entire IMDb list. Nice. Uh, for the director, they get Steve Miner, who had helped out in various roles on the first film and had directed the second film. Uh, he would go on to direct many other horror films, including Warlock, Halloween H20, or H2O as some people will call it, and Lake Placid. Uh, he is the only person to have directed more than one of like the big three film series of the 80s meaning like he directed a halloween film and uh, a friday the 13th film and no other person has done that they just stayed in the same series something else that we've talked about is the formula horror films fall into uh but sequels in general at this time this is an article i read uh, in the 80s apparently 
sequels were seen as gimmicky, like just the idea of sequels in general. They still are. They, yes. Not that uh, sequels had not been done before, but multiple sequels was just not really a thing that happened here in the early 80s. Uh, and become much more prevalent, mm-hmm. of course, as that decade went on. This film repopularized the return of 3D. We talked about that. So this film was shot in 3D. And yes, it was a gimmick because they wanted there to be a reason for people to be coming to this, to, for it to be seen as this event. They were looking to people like William Castle and Alfred Hitchcock as inspirations for this. Do you know much about... Well, first off, do you know who William Castle is? No. Do you, you do know who Alfred Hitchcock is, though? I think so. Sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Hitchcock would be known for this, for doing like these little gimmicks as far as like getting people to come and watch his movies. The okay. most famous one being for Psycho probably was like, you're not allowed in the theater if you're more than five minutes late or whatever the whole thing was. William Castle was like even more bonkers crazy. Him and Hitchcock were friends, but he would be like, when, if you buy a ticket to this movie, and if you die while watching it of fright, we'll pay for your funeral and stuff like that. Like you do those like little gimmicks. That was back in the time in the 50s when they would do the roadshow production. So they'd go city to city to show the movie. So he would rig theaters up with like a, a, a skeleton in the rooftop. And then when a certain moment happened, it's going to drop the skeleton into the audience sort of thing. So he did stuff like that all the time. A lot of people peeing their pants, I'm sure. Yeah. So anyways, they think of this 3D, bringing 3D back as a gimmick for people to come into theaters. But it was a big pain in the ass. They could not get the 3D film. They could not get the 3D camera they were using to focus properly. Yeah. Which is very evident when you watch this film. Yes. (laughs) So even sometimes when they would get the scenes, quote unquote, right, they'd have to do it over and over again to get it kind of in focus. You can see the people were struggling to make this work. The other big thing is that this is the first appearance of the hockey mask. So mm. Jason would be, become so iconic with this mask. Before this, he just had a kind of a Burlap potato sack, sack over mm. his head thing. Mm. The mask itself was suggested by Martin Sadoff, the 3D effects supervisor, who was this big hockey fan and just so happened to have hockey gear on set. So <laughs> they just, in the script, it's just a pretty big fan. Yeah. I, I guess in the script, it just says that, he, that Jason grabs a mask from the workshop or something. No, uh, they didn't that specify kid? what the mask was. No, it's the annoying kid. He's, he wears it at the beginning. Oh, sure. In the script, it's not a hockey mask specifically. This is he puts on a mask. Yeah. They said, like, why not this thing? Minor loved the look of it. So with a couple of modifications, it brings it in and has now been used in every single sequel since this time and is even in the reboot. Uh, it gets released. Critics hate it. Makes so much money. And I will say that fan enthusiasm at the time did remain because the next film Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which, spoiler alert, there's seven more movies that come <laughs> after that one. <laughs> we get a slightly bigger budget of $2.6 and would make $33 million. So people are not done with this franchise. I love this shit. That's the thing with sequels, too. People always look at, like, how did Spider-Man 3 make more money than Spider-Man 2? It's like, because people love Spider-Man 2. That's why they went to see Spider-Man 3. Mm-hmm. If you had another sequel, you'd see things drop down, because it's always the enthusiasm from the last movie that dictates usually how much sequels are going to make. There's a couple things I want to say as far as, like, I guess the rest of the series and stuff, but anything you want to say about this movie? I'm done with it. I'm ready to move on. Just some quick things. Some of the red herrings, I think, would have worked better if we didn't know, like, well, we know Jason is coming. I don't know. For me, it's... Uh, like when the kid is pretending to die all the time? Yeah, exactly. Like, this would probably work better if I didn't know for sure that Jason is not... They just shot poorly, right, you. right? I think when you're going to do a fake death, it should have been built as gruesome 
as what Jason was going to do later, but they right. made it very cartoony and soft. And so when it when the setup comes, you know he's just joking, and you also know that they're going to mistake him when he finally like it's just it's just cheap. And uh, I don't know if it's the weakness of the director. I think it's the director's fault. I mean, I know they were struggling with that camera, but there are opportunities to make this into a watchable movie. There really were. I don't know. Yeah. No. There's these little, I guess, Easter eggs a, a little bit. She picks up when she gets killed in the hammock, actually. She picks up a Fangoria magazine that she's flipping through. And there's this profile on Tom Savini on the left-hand side, who was well-known for his makeup work in the 70s and 80s. Okay. Was supposed to do the makeup work for this film, but didn't. He left to do another movie. Then they were going to get Stan Winston, uh, and then he had to drop out too. Stan Winston is also like the second biggest name probably in makeup and special effects. And then on the right-hand side is 25 Years of Godzilla. Mm, I saw that. Which yes. is also interesting because Steve Miner had bought the rights for Godzilla to make a Godzilla film in America. And then he wanted to make that in 3D as well. But when this was such a disaster, he just had the rights revert back to Toho in Japan. So some little little easter egg things are going on there stretching it out stretching it out <laughs> well i just think it is i think anyways godzilla versus jason would be epic of course the big thing too is the it's the mother who jumps out of the lake yeah. as a kind of a callback at the to end the first yeah. film mm -hmm. but it's a dream sequence i think is what we're supposed to take from that yeah like, they do the thing so where whatever. she's like giggling to herself because she's lost her mind at the end but uh, mm -hmm. doesn't matter it's never referenced again in the entire series <laughs> so it doesn't matter I will say the rest of the series goes through. There is a reboot, and I want to say it's 2009. I've got to check the year. Sure. They do do a reboot, which it was actually fairly well regarded amongst fans of the series, but it didn't do super well at the box office. Uh, I do think that the whole slasher thing has kind of gone away as far as like popularity is in horror films. There has been an attempt to reboot it again for the, at least the last decade, and it has just been mired in... Um, rights issues. It's actually the same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street as well. Both of those long time running series, people want to be making them, but it's one of those things because of uh, all the conglomerations that have happened. It's like, who actually owns the rights to these anymore? And that's what people are trying to pick through. Don't hold your breath. Right. I'm, I know that you will be first in line when Friday the 13th gets rebooted in 2025. Ugh. In 10 years, will my son want it? Yeah, true enough. Just be like, hey, pops. <laughs> I, I actually would not be surprised. You know how things do skip generations. Yeah. I wonder if there is going to be a huge generation like, no, like Slashes is what we want now yeah, again. it's possible. One last pitch I will say, if you've heard about the movie called Freaky that came out a couple of years ago, no. had Vince Vaughn and I can't remember the girl, that was supposed oh, yeah. to be called Freaky Friday the 13th is what that was supposed to be called. But again, they could not get the rights for Jason to be in that movie. Oh, they but wanted is, Jason to be yes. in that movie. Oh. They wanted to be Jason Voorhees explicitly inside of that movie. Wasn't that movie kind of okay? Like, it's uh, okay. Critically? It would yeah. be better if it was Jason uh, Voorhees. It would actually make the whole point of that movie better, I think. But I didn't watch it. But I just anyways. remember reading some reviews and be like, oh, Vince Vaughn's still alive. We're done here. Well, the machine just said that we should wrap things up here. So let's get into Critics' Choice. Roger Ebert basically reviewed every other one of these films, but does not have a written re review for part three. And Pauline Kael was not going to go and watch this movie. Let's be frank. <laughs> There's no way. So I went to Letterboxd this time and I got a positive review and I got a negative review. Get ready to roll your eyes, Dave. We're going to start with Silent Dawn. Give it four stars to this film. Wow. The 3D effects in this movie are truly embarrassing. And it's even worse when you watch this in 2D. 
yo-yos, apples, oranges, pitchfork handles, and more all pop out of the screen. Yet when you get past that and another stupid retelling of the end of the second film, you get one of the best films in the Friday the 13th franchise. The awesome. Death by fire poker. Ugh, that's awful. Wait, a character dies as a result of a spear gun? That's even worse. The biker gang segments are hilarious. Seriously, I want to carry a long chain around my neck now. Well, that's what happens when you go poking around a barn with a demented backwoods man-child inside. Repetitive dream sequences and jump scares for the win. Also, the bunny at the beginning is really adorable. I can't believe the lady called him slash her a disgusting animal. This has to be sarcastic. It has the to terrible. be. Okay. <laughs> the terrible. As mentioned above, the opening is repetitive and boring, especially since I watched them back to back. Plus, the 3D effects are cringeworthy in either 3D or 2D. Overall, Friday the 13th Part 3 is awesome, and it's the debut of the iconic hockey mask. That's right, folks. This film is the grand showcase of the goalie slasher icon that we all know and love. It has to be sarcastic. <laughs> I don't think so. Yes. I think they're very, very no. earnest. No. That is one of those uh, fake reviews that I come across mm. once in a while. I will say this once again, because I did this, like I said, a couple years ago. If you do watch all of these films back to back to back, None of it makes sense. All of it is just like, none of this, none of this makes sense. No one's surprised. That's not a surprising revelation. All right, let's move on. Darren Carver Basinger gave this two stars. The opening five minutes of Friday the 13th Part 3 rehashed the ending of the previous film before getting to some dated opening titles made completely with an up-tempo pop-influenced score. Then the film proceeds to be awful for 50 minutes. A subplot regarding a biker gang is abysmally, abysmally lame, and the characters are all annoying teenagers, with a prank-pulling loner being the most annoying of all. The use of 3D is so forced and silly, using a yo-yo and people juggling amongst the other boring things. Then, part three gets really good. Once Jason turns up in his hockey mask, this film really picks up. There's good, imaginative kills, and I really appreciate the nastier moments. For about 15 to 20 minutes, Friday the 13th, part three, is a great slasher. Unfortunately, after a shockingly bad eyeball popping death, we get a repetitive and silly final girl chase, one in which Jason gets knocked out, gets knocked out or injured over and over again. Then the film just rips off the first movie right at the end. Friday the 13th Part 3 is mostly terrible, but there's a really good streak within it. There's things to like, but more to dislike. Basically, he could have written my review, to be honest with you. This is basically how I'm going to do it. I will say, we're not at the rating segment yet, but like, I have to rate this on a curve with the other Friday the 13th movies. And as much as I don't like this, oh boy, does it get worse. There is some, there's so much worse than this movie, which is shocking. They can all be zeros, Kyle. Like. They, can, they can always <laughs> be zero. Well, we do need to rate this film, but before we do, that's what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We release videos on our YouTube channel that you can go and check out. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, what are you going to give Friday the 13th, part three out of five? On Letterboxd, I actually rated a 1.5. Did you really? Yeah, I think it should be a one, but okay. much like that last review, 
the opening sequence and the last 15 minutes up to the resolution of Jason's death were actually like what I expect out of a horror movie. So I was like, you know what? This is not a zero, right? Right. But it's a very bad movie. So I, I was a little torn on the, how pessimistic I'm supposed to be because I have such a strong bias against this genre yeah. in, general, in general. So I'll leave it there. I don't know. It should, should so probably be what is there? Are you in 1 or 1.5? I'll put a 1.5 so I don't have to change wow. my letterbox score. I When I originally watched this, because I was watching them in order and basically basing them off of like the previous movie and stuff like that. Uh, first time I watched this, I gave this a 2.5. But on this rewatch, I was like, no, I can't. I can't leave it that way. <laughs> so I dropped it. I dropped it down to a 2. Yeah, I, dropped I it down saw to that. A two. That's why I figured the, the average is going to be a 1.5 anyway, so I'm okay with that. It is, although that technically averages to a 1.75, uh, which means, Dave, is this better or worse than the Beastmaster? Oh, wow. Worse, I guess. Yeah. Right? They're pretty much on par, I think. But what's the one above Beastmaster? Grease 2. Grease 2, I think, is definitely better than this movie. Yeah, yeah I would put it below. I think I would much rather rewatch Beastmaster again as much as I didn't like that movie either. Yeah. I'd probably rewatch Beastmaster before I'd watch this movie again. Also, with some of the comments we got on the YouTube comparison with It and Conan, I feel like mm-hmm. if we could watch that on, like a, on a Blu-ray remaster, and maybe right. what we saw was like a potato quality TV something. Right, Maybe right. it's better than we think. I don't think so. I thought it was terrible, but it's possible because we got access to a very poor looking movie that is true well that is going to enter our list then at the new number 35 position it's not the lowest but it's going to be right above yes giorgio and right below the Beastmaster. i'm okay with that i'm okay with that yeah. actually before i push this button dave i just i knew i'd read this somewhere i just wanted to state it out here about the future of the friday the 13th films apparently lebron james has bought the rights as of october 2018 Stupid. Just so you, it's going to space so you know. jam it. Uh, cultural relevance, it has some because people know about it, but I don't think this film has any. I mean, you could talk about The Mask, but yeah, it gives I, a Yeah, I, I have to, that's where I have to land. I don't think this movie holds up. I'm not no. going to make that argument. I think you have to basically say it does have cultural relevance because it introduces the hockey mask. Mm, maybe. Like, without that, I don't know how much more longer this franchise would be known or, or survive. It, it has its own cultural reference relevance to its own culture but not sure. to culture in general <laughs> um i don't know i would still say that the mask has all right, all right. kind of spilled over into other things but it's probably why goalies don't wear that mask anymore let's push this button here oh boy dave i don't think you're gonna like well i should say what the movie is first it's gonna be halloween 3 season of the witch <laughs> i don't think you're gonna like this movie but it's a far more interesting failure than what this movie is <laughs> i think it's such a bonkers weird movie all right all right now you're <laughs> just spoiling wait. it all right no that has perhaps the weirdest protagonist <laughs> in the history of horror films it's like right. why is this the guy um uh, i can't wait this is one of those films that is it's a, an anomaly in the halloween franchise but also has been kind of reclaimed in recent years where if you forget that it's called halloween you have a lot of fun with it Mm. well it might work for me because i haven't watched any of the halloween films so perfect i'm sure i'll hate it boy Didi hess's or whoever's underneath that white sheet is really close here right now but rip off the sheet here and see who it is huh 
It's old man Jenkins. <laughs> and I'd have done it too if you kids hadn't come <laughs> along. Scoopy Doodah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care that you don't care.